Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. This episode of Reimagining Love is brought to you by Dame Products. Dame is a female-founded brand creating beautiful and groundbreaking products to enhance pleasure. It should come as no surprise to you that I love their mission of helping people feel comfortable in their sexuality, worthy of feeling good, and connected to their partners. Dame vibrators are specifically designed for people with vulvas. Dame also makes lube, massage oil, and arousal serums that are body safe and designed to be used with Dame's vibrators to heighten pleasure. Their products are designed with the community of Dame Labs and with the consultation of a clinical board of sexologists, OBGYNs, and physical therapists. I look forward to being a part of the Dear Dame series as a featured expert in spring 2022. You can use offer code LOVEPOD, L-O-V-E-P-O-D, to get 10% off your first order at Dame Products. So head to dameproducts.com and start shopping today. Welcome to another solo episode. Today, it's just me, just you, diving into a relationship topic in order to offer you tools and perspectives to help you cultivate relationships that are rich with care, compassion, and curiosity. And we are embarking today on a two-part series about conflict. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm really looking forward to exploring this topic with you. None of us fall in love so that we can experience conflict, but conflict is absolutely inevitable. Why? Because in intimate partnerships, the stakes are high. Why? Because in intimate partnerships, our old wounds are going to get activated. Why? (laughs) Because in intimate partnerships, what is required of us is interdependence, coordination, and endless amounts of decision-making from the little stuff like what to eat for dinner to the big stuff, like whether or not to move for a new job opportunity. 
research by Dr. John Gottman, indicates that it is not the presence of conflict itself that erodes relationship satisfaction, but it's the how of conflict, how couples navigate those moments of frustration, misunderstanding, disappointment. That's what matters. Perhaps when you were growing up, you had the privilege of watching the big people in your house practicing relational self-awareness on a regular basis, dealing with their disagreements in loving and mindful and respectful ways. If that was your experience when you were little, please tell them thank you for me. It's such a gift to give to the next generation. And I can imagine that those early experiences that you had helped you approach conflict with curiosity rather than fear. If instead, however, you were like a whole lot of us, and when you were growing up, the big people in your home handled conflict in ways that felt frightening or confusing to you, then you have a responsibility and in fact an opportunity to do what needs to be done to transform what I call your conflict inheritance. I feel really confident that this two-part series about conflict is going to help you meet those inevitable moments of conflict with more skill and more care. So the series is called 10 Essential Skills for Navigating Conflict. And this is part one. And in this episode, I'm going to talk you through the first five essential skills. Then you're going to have a week to integrate and practice those skills before we cover the second five next week in another solo episode. And I want you to know right off the bat that when I have a couple in therapy, especially if it's their first time in couples therapy, I find that I need to do quite a bit of what therapists call psychoeducation, which means teaching people some of the foundations about healthy, empowered, intimacy-promoting communication. The 10 skills that we're going to work on in these next two episodes are the exact skills that I am teaching my couples in therapy. I want to be clear that there is a difference between knowing what skillful communication looks like and communicating skillfully. There's a difference between awareness and enactment, a difference between like the knowledge you need and the practice that it takes. And none of us is perfect. And when our emotions run hot, it's far more difficult to engage in the ways that we know we need to in order to honor ourselves and to tend to the relationship. It's painful to feel misunderstood, disrespected, or invalidated. And we become upset precisely because the relationship matters so much to us. But at the very same time, it is because the relationship matters so much that we really do need to commit ourselves to learning how to proceed with caution. And we need to learn how to proceed with a roadmap. And these 10 skills are going to be a roadmap. The skills themselves are relatively simple, but they aren't easy and they take practice. And they're going to be easier for you to practice on less activating topics. And they're going to be easier for you to practice when you are well-rested, well-fed, sober, etc. So as you listen, I really want you to promise me two things. Number one. I want you to promise me that you are not going to beat yourself up for all the times when you haven't met these moments of friction in a mindful and empowered way. We get to be both whole as we are and forever works in progress. 
and you're going to have plenty of more opportunities to try things a different way. Second promise I'd like you to make. I would like you to promise that you're not going to use this knowledge and this information as a cudgel with your partner. So resist the urge to say things like, well, Dr. Solomon says you should X, Y, and Z. Because the only person you ever have control over is yourself. But I do want you to take comfort in one of the foundations of family therapy, which is that when you change one part of the system, you change the system. So even if it's only you who practices some of these new moves, your partner is not going to be able to respond in the same old ways because you are changing the choreography. And if you find yourself wanting your partner to listen to this episode, make sure that you invite them or ask them to listen rather than demanding or cajoling them to listen. So try saying, I got a lot out of this episode. I would love for you to listen to. Or try saying, I know you're not a regular podcast listener, but it would mean a lot to me if you would listen to this one episode. And if you need more on how to invite a reluctant partner into relationship work, make sure you go back and check out episode two of Reimagining Love, which is about that topic. Our first five essential skills for navigating conflict. These are, drumroll please, skill one, understanding your conflict template. Skill two, distinguishing between the lyrics and the music. Skill three, separating problem discussion from problem solution. Skill four, adding structure to activate empathy. And skill five, hating the moment, not the person. So in my weekly newsletter, you are going to receive a downloadable worksheet that summarizes all these skills and gives you some tips for practicing the skills. If you are not already a subscriber, you can sign up by clicking the link in the show notes or by heading to dralexandrasolomon.com and scrolling down to the bottom. Caveat, in this episode and the next one, we are talking about ordinary, normative, expected conflict. In intimate partnerships, conflict can, of course, become or be abusive, toxic, and dangerous. So some signs of unhealthy conflict include yelling and screaming, name-calling, intimidation and threats, throwing things, and any form of violence or putting hands on each other. These are significant relationship problems that affect mental health and relational well-being, and they are problems that cannot adequately or appropriately be addressed in this format. They are problems that warrant the care of a couples therapist or a social service agency that can help with safety planning. So we have included some of those resources in the show notes. Let's tackle skill number one, understanding your conflict template. When we're working on expanding our relational self-awareness, we spend quite a bit of time looking in the rearview mirror, understanding our past. And we do not do that to blame our parents or our attachment figures, but we do that because our family system, the system that we grew up in, is what I call our original love classroom. So when we're young, we are these little social scientists and we're absorbing tons of messages implicitly and explicitly about relationships. And we take in these messages in two ways. First, we take the messages in by observing. We watch the big people in our house. 
We observe how they handle differences in needs and preferences. We observe how they handle moments of frustration and moments of disappointment. The other way we take in these messages is by relating, right? So the way that the big people respond to our needs, our preferences, our moments of frustration, our moments of disappointment when we are little, how we are related to teaches us so much about who we are allowed to be. And as you know, if you've listened to the podcast or followed my work for more than a moment, you know that the past travels with us. So how you respond to moments of upset with your intimate partner is shaped enormously by the experiences that you had in your original love classroom. It's a big topic. We've already covered it on Reimagining Love, and we're going to keep covering it in future episodes. But for our purposes here, the skill, skill number one, is understanding that you do have a conflict inheritance. You have a particular place that you go, so to speak during moments of rub with your intimate partner. Your way of responding is your way, and it's informed by your experiences. There's a context for why you perceive and respond the way that you do. So to practice skill number one, spend some time reflecting on what you saw growing up. Did the big people get loud? Did they spend days in icy silence? Did they paste smiles on their faces and carry on like nothing was going on? So again, not about blame, but understanding. What you saw when you were little affects what you do during moments of friction with your intimate partner. What we know from the field of interpersonal neurobiology is that there are four main places that we tend to go when there is something upsetting or activating between us and somebody who matters tremendously to us. And what's convenient is these four places are called the four Fs. They are fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. So fight feels like anger and outrage, and it looks like getting loud. Flight feels like fear, and it looks like walking away or refusing to engage. Freeze feels like emotional overwhelm, and it looks like going numb or going silent. Fawn feels like anxiety, and it looks like quick apologies, agreeing with the other person, and accommodating. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Each of those survival strategies is a way of coping with threat, and the threat is friction or unease in the space between yourself and somebody who matters to you tremendously. If it's a coping strategy, it's very likely one that's understandable and one that very likely kept you safe at an earlier time in your life. And so this first skill, understanding your conflict inheritance, is essential so that you can begin to notice when you're moving from calm, open, and curious into that self-protective stance because it doesn't happen randomly. It happens in response to a perceived threat, in response to something that your partner has said or your partner has done. We're starting with the skill of understanding your conflict inheritance, knowing that the other skills are going to help you meet these inevitable moments of frustration with more tools besides just this one 
self-protective coping strategy of fight or flight or freeze or fawn, right? We want you to have more tools in your toolbox that you can move into to help you stay emotionally calm and open and to help you and your partner get through that frustrating moment. And by the way, your partner also comes into relationship with you with their own conflict inheritance, right? Their own proneness towards fight or flight or freeze or fawn. So part of the skill here is also getting to know what your partner saw and experienced when they were growing up and how that informs their approach to conflict. Skill number one can help you bring more humility and curiosity into those unfortunate moments. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Skill number two, distinguishing between the lyrics and the music. Every conflict has both a topic and a choreography, both a theme and a form both content and process. In other words, both lyrics and music. There's a thing that is the topic of the conflict, and then there's a way in which the conflict unfolds. Anybody who has spent any amount of time in an intimate partnership knows that conflict can be sparked by any topic. A butter dish a facial expression, a text, right? The thing that ignites conflict can really be any topic. And the research has found that there are some classic topics that couples tend to struggle with most. Those are sex, money, in-laws, parenting, domestic labor or chores. Why is that? Because when it comes to any of those topics, it tends to be the case that there are few, if any, easy answers, right? They're complicated. It tends to be that they're often unsolvable problems, sort of like smart minds differ. It tends to be that around those topics, what's required is a great deal of collaboration or coordination. So it's really easy for power struggles to ensue. And finally, in each of those realms, sex, money, in-laws, parenting, domestic labor, the topic that ignites any given conflict, any given fight, ties to deeper issues. There's the thing that ignites the conflict, and then there's the deeper issue that it's tied to. And around all of those realms, the deeper issues are things like, do you see me? Do I matter? 
and are we okay? So the topics are the lyrics. What about the music? The music is the choreography, the process, the form that a conflict takes. And research by Dr. Gottman and others has found that there tends to be three main choreographies of conflict. Choreography one, pursue, pursue. I get louder and then you get louder. And then I bring in three more examples and then you bring up something that came up five years ago. And back and forth we go. It gets bigger. It gets louder. The relationship kind of becomes the topic of conversation itself. Choreography two, pursue distance. This one goes like this. The more I try to engage you, the more you shut down. The more you shut down, the more I try to engage you. Chase and avoid. Three is distance, distance. Something upsetting happens. I get quiet and withdrawn. And when I get quiet and withdrawn, you get quiet and withdrawn. The more I pull back, the more you pull back. Those are the three main choreographies. Pursue, pursue. Pursue, distance. Distance, distance. The skill of learning how to distinguish between the lyrics and the music is the skill of holding this sort of dual awareness. We're talking about topic X. And we're talking about topic X in this particular kind of way. Why is it important to learn how to discern between the lyrics and the music? Because if you can start to notice the process that you and your partner are getting into, then you can comment on the process. And the moment you can comment on the process, you are opening up a new avenue for collaboration. You're creating a sort of we consciousness. So practice this skill by seeing what happens when you make a comment to your partner about the process. When you say something like, hey, it looks like we're doing that thing again, where the more I want to talk about this right here, right now, the more you get shut down. See what happens. See how the conversation changes when you make a we-based comment, right? Look how we're doing that thing again. Very different than you are shutting down. If you're going to practice skill number two, you got to commit to sort of commenting on our process. Aha, I think we're getting into that pursue, pursue thing where we each get louder and we each get bigger. Therapists call this going meta. When we comment on the process, we go meta. And in that moment, what you're doing is you're helping the two of you move from this me versus you stance into a we stance. It's an invitation for deeper collaboration. Skill number three. Skill number three is called separating problem discussion from problem solution. So let's stick with this idea that conversations have forms or choreographies. So this means that there are two types of conversations. There are problem discussion conversations, and there are problem solution conversations. This is an idea that we've been teaching in Marriage 101 at Northwestern for many, many years. And it's an idea taken from Markman and Stanley's classic book, which is called Fighting for Your Marriage. So two types of conversations, problem discussion conversations, So the goal of a problem discussion conversation is to better understand our partner and to feel better understood 
by our partner. The goal of a problem-solution conversation is to make agreements to do something differently going forward. They have different endpoints, different goals. Problem discussion, our goal is to be understood and to understand our partner. Problem solution conversation, the goal is to make agreements that we're going to do some things differently. There are really different kinds of conversations, and we make frustrating moments more frustrating when we mindlessly toggle back and forth between these two types of conversations. So I want you to practice being intentional about the kind of conversation that you're wanting and needing to have with your partner. Again, John Gottman's research has identified that a full 69% of the stuff that couples fight about is not solvable because a full 69% relates to central differences between you and your partner. So just playing the odds, it's pretty likely that the moment that you and your partner moved from open to activated relates to something that's actually not even solvable between the two of you. For example, you tend to be more extroverted and your partner tends to be more introverted. You tend to be more comfortable spending money and your partner wants to more closely follow a budget. Those are pretty central differences between the two of you around temperament, around personality, around preference. There may be aspects of these central differences where you can make agreements that help both of you feel cherished in the relationship. For example, you agree to be with friends one night of the weekend and to hang out at home the other night of the weekend. Or you agree to run purchases that are over X number of dollars past your partner before you make them. And your partner agrees to resist the urge to comment on your ordinary run-of-the-mill spending. But every relationship has points of rub and many of those are not solvable. Which means that very often the thing that we need is just to feel heard, validated, and understood. That's problem discussion. And that's very different from problem solving. And when couples aren't intentional about the kind of conversation that they need to have, they may do any or all of the following. They may offer solutions when it's actually empathy that's needed. So it's like giving the wrong medicine. Or They may rush into a solution without understanding the deeper feeling, which basically guarantees that whatever the attempted solution is, is going to backfire because there wasn't understanding that was the foundation of it. Or they may try to solve something that's actually unsolvable, thus missing out on the chance to bring compassion or maybe even a little bit of humor to what is a central difference between the two of you. Missing out on a chance to leverage that central difference as a resource, right? Because the introvert reminds the extrovert that sometimes it's okay to sit quietly in your home. And the extrovert reminds the introvert that sometimes it feels really good to take a risk and stretch and spend time with people, right? So you and your partner can put this third skill of distinguishing between problem discussion and problem solution, you can put the skill into action by making this agreement. And the agreement is that when we bump into a tender topic, we agree 
that we will have a problem discussion conversation before we try to solve anything. If you make this agreement, one of two things is going to happen. (laughs) You're going to either get to the end of your problem discussion conversation and you're going to realize that nothing even needs to get solved, that really all you needed was to slow down and offer some empathy and validate each other's perspective. Or the other thing that might happen is that you will get to the end of that problem discussion conversation and you're going to be in a more collaborative position to brainstorm and create solutions that feel good to both of you. Skill number four is going to offer a framework for how to have that problem discussion conversation. Skill four is adding structure to activate empathy. So this skill is something that I learned, again, many years ago from Markman and Stanley's book, Fighting for Your Marriage. It's a skill called the speaker-listener technique. It is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. It's a really powerful way to slow a conversation down and to add some structure to prevent you from slipping into fight or flight or freeze or fawn and to really have a conversation where each of you ends up, hopefully, fingers crossed, feeling both more understanding and more understood. So the first step is you choose an object. Does not matter what it is. It could be a pen, it could be a rock, it could be the remote, it could be a box of tissue. I've done it before with a couple using a lipstick, just something small that you can hold in your hand. And then you assign roles. One of you becomes a speaker and one of you becomes the listener. Usually the person who has the concern, whose feelings are hurt, who feels frustrated, usually they are the speaker first. So the speaker holds, let's call it the rock, and they have the floor. And the speaker speaks for a bit about their experience of the problem. They use short sentences. They use I statements. They focus on their perception, their experience, and they give digestible tidbits. Like I would say maybe 30 seconds worth at most of perspective on the problem. When you did X in situation Y, I felt Z. And then they pause and the listener reflects back what they've heard. What I'm hearing you say is that when I did X in situation Y, you felt Z. Am I getting that right? When the listener reflects back, they are not adding their editorial, their perspective, their explanation, their rationalization. They are just literally reflecting back. And then the listener says, am I getting that right? And the speaker either says, yes, that's it. Or if the listener didn't quite get it right, then the speaker can say something like, well, you got the first part right, but let me say the second part again, because I don't think you quite got that. And then the speaker tries again and the listener reflects it back and checks in again to make sure they've got it right. Okay, So maybe after three rounds like that, the speaker hands the rock over and the listener becomes a speaker and the speaker becomes a listener. And now the new speaker begins to share their experience of the problem. And again, here it's I statements. 
It's focusing on their perception, their experience, resisting the urge to blame, resisting the urge certainly to name call, assume intent, all of that. And now the other partner, the former speaker, now listener, does the exact same thing, reflects back nearly word for word and ensures that they understand. Fair warning, the speaker-listener technique can feel really, really clunky at first. It can feel slow. It can feel heavy. It takes practice. It is not how we usually talk to each other, but that's the point, right? The point is if the way we've been having difficult conversations leave us feeling isolated, misunderstood, frustrated, and stuck, we have to have a different structure to get a different result. Without structure, we're at risk of slipping into our old patterns of pursue, pursue, pursue distance, distance, distance. But with this structure, we're stacking the deck in our favor that we're going to feel both understood and understanding. So I would love for you to try it out. Let it be clunky. Know that with practice, it gets a bit easier and you can refine it. Certainly you can add your own flavor, your own flair to it, but that's the basic structure. The structure is to slow down, assign roles, and really ensure that each of you is centering the other's experience, like really trying to understand from the other person's perspective. And the last thing I'll say about skill number four is when you and your partner practice this skill, I want you to feel so proud that you are doing something in the service of your relationship rather than feeling ashamed somehow that you need to have a structure to be able to have this conversation. So I want you to feel elevated by practicing this skill, proud that you are so invested in this relationship that you would try something different and maybe a little bit awkward and that that really shows that the two of you are invested in making sure that each of you feels supported in the relationship. We are in the home stretch. Skill number five. Skill number five is called hating the moment, not the person. One of my professors, supervisors, mentors in graduate school, Dr. Cheryl Rampage, told a story in class one day. She talked about how early in her marriage, when she and her husband would fight, she would feel so angry with him and she would think to herself, oh, I hate him. And hate is a very strong word and it's a word that may not land exactly right for you. But the point is that early in her marriage, their fights felt so deeply personal. She was so furious at him. She shifted from feeling furious at him to feeling upset about the disconnection between them. Really different, isn't it? The difference between feeling furious at him and feeling upset about how very, very disconnected they were from each other. Because that's truly the heart of conflict. Conflict takes us out of connection with somebody who matters tremendously to us. It takes us out of connection in a relationship where the stakes are so very high. Dr. Sue Johnson's research focuses on how deeply we attach to our intimate partner. And that's precisely why these moments of distress feel so painful. They're painful because we lose connection with somebody that we love very much. While it feels very much like the thing they did or the thing they said made us feel mad at them, the skill here is to be hard on the issue and soft on the person. 
we practice the skill by noticing the chatter inside of our heads, right? To noticing the stories we start to make up inside of our head about this frustrating moment. Is the story inside of your head hyper-focused on your partner? They are so controlling. They are so thoughtless. How could they do this to me? Right? The thoughts are real. We're not going to judge ourselves for the thoughts that we have. The thoughts are real. We really do think to ourselves, oh, my partner is so controlling. My partner is so thoughtless. I can't believe my partner did this to me. Those thoughts are real. And at the very same time, these thoughts are going to keep us stuck in the conflict. The way we are approaching the conflict then is proving our point that our partner is thoughtless or we're coming in with an agenda of wanting to prove that they did something to us that we would never do to them. See what happens when you try to shift a little bit away from thoughts that are about your partner, the quality and character of your partner, and shift towards thoughts about the problem. Instead of, I hate how controlling my partner is, as an experiment, see what happens when the thought becomes, I hate this moment. I hate how misunderstood I feel right now. This conflict really scares me. It's really hard for me to feel so far apart. We practice the skill by noticing how we are talking to ourselves about this fight. Is our self-talk hyper-focused on our partner? Saying things like, my partner is so controlling. My partner is so thoughtless. I can't believe that my partner did this to me. Those thoughts are real, right? We are not judging ourselves for the thoughts we have. These thoughts are real. They make sense. They're understandable. They are just the kinds of thoughts that also guarantee that we're going to stay stuck in the conflict. They are the kinds of thoughts that guarantee that we approach our partner as the enemy rather than approaching the moment as so frustrating, so sad, so unfortunate. So the shift here is rather than thinking to ourselves, my partner is so controlling, my partner is so thoughtless, I can't believe they did this to me. See what happens if you try out some different thoughts, like, I hate this moment, I hate feeling so misunderstood, this conflict really scares me, I hate how far apart we feel, it's so unfortunate that this happened on a special night, those are thoughts that are about the moment, the disconnect, the misunderstanding, rather than about the character of our partner. And making that shift from hating the person to hating the moment is essential because it begins to, again, start to move us towards something that is a bit more collaborative, that's a bit more about you and I against this problem, you and I against this frustration. And from that stance, perhaps we can begin to grieve. It's so frustrating that our first night of vacation got overshadowed by this misunderstanding between us. That is a different stance to take, and it's a skill. And again, it's not about trying to force ourselves to feel differently than the way we feel. It's another skill that helps us begin to relate differently to the thoughts that arise in those moments of misunderstanding. These skills are, again, relatively simple, but not easy. No single skill is going to be enough to prevent conflict from ever happening. And remember, like we said in the beginning, 
It's not about preventing conflict from happening. It's about having some tools that help us meet those moments a bit differently than we have before. Okay, you all, we did it. We covered a ton of ground. Make sure that you are signed up for the newsletter so you can grab the downloadable worksheet that's going to be coming out. And that way you'll have all of your skills in one place. So again, skill one, understanding your conflict template. Skill two, distinguishing between the music and the lyrics. Skill three, separating problem discussion from problem solution. Skill four, adding structure to activate empathy. And skill five, hating the moment, not the person. I hope that these first five skills are going to give you a great starting point for building your toolkit. You can only do 100% of your half, but I think you're going to find that increasing your own relational self-awareness and cultivating empathy and leading with love is going to increase the likelihood that your partner will also approach a challenging relational notch with this very same lens. And next week, we're going to pick up this series and I hope you will tune in to hear five more essential skills for navigating conflict, which include some of my favorite strategies like using intimacy, promoting language and offering heartfelt apologies. And you will find that episode in the podcast feed next Tuesday. So until then, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.